Hi guys, welcome back to Wildest Cricket Stories. I'm Craig. And I'm Carolina, and this is part two of our Q&A, where we answer your guys' questions about us and life. And about Wildest Cricket life. life and just anything you guys wanted to know. Highs and lows. Yeah. Let's deep dive Are we going to deep it? dive? Alright, when did you first realize that you were going to do this for the rest of your life? I haven't. I, I don't know if I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. I'm going to do it until I've, I don't think it's fun anymore or until it doesn't work out or until something better comes along. I don't know. Mic drop, everyone. Boom. Carolina Nori might not do this for the rest of her <laughs> Yeah, but you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I think growing up, I always thought I was going to, like, you have to study and you have to do this and this is a job you're going to have to for the rest of your life. But I think especially in the day and age that we live in, it, the world is your oyster. And uh, you don't have to settle for one thing and commit to that for the rest of your life and that's the only thing you're going to do. Uh, you, you can do something else later on and, and I think that's quite freeing. That's why I love you. There's the mic drop right there. That's the mic dropping. Good job. <laughs> Good answer. Um, oh, I suppose I better answer as well. Yeah, I don't know. How, do you want to do this for the rest of your life or how do you feel? I, I, I'm... At this stage, yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, like, this is this is fun. I didn't realize how much fun it was. Uh, number one, working for yourself because <laughs> working Brilliant. for yourself is epic. Um, it is stressful though, so don't just drop what you're doing and be like, "I'm gonna tackle the world." We'll do it, but do your research. Make sure your ducks yeah, are yeah. in a row. Be an adult about it. Um, but yeah, I, I absolutely think I could be doing this for the rest of my life. Um, maybe into an early retirement. I don't know. Uh, but it's it's something that you know orchestrating trips, doing trips with people, guiding trips, making sure things happen. I'm sure I might get tired or overloaded with work in the future, uh, but that's what employees are for. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I definitely could be. But again, like Carolina said, she took the words pretty much out of my mouth. We don't really know. Yeah, let's. Uh, it's one of those things. It's it's fun while it's last lasting. Yeah. I mean, you never know what happens later. in the future. Where do you guys see yourselves in five to ten years? Goodness gracious me. Well, guys really we, did hit these questions hard. I do this think time, we are they? doing this in yeah. five to ten years. Like yeah. I'm thinking when people say the rest of your life When we're fifty. You know what I mean? Like like twenty years from now, I don't know where I will be. So that's what I'm saying. But I do think five to ten years you are probably still doing this. In ten years from now, I'm gonna be sitting with a leopard in my lens. <laughs> in the tree. You can do that a week from now. I could do that a week from now. No, I'm kidding. Um, yeah, in, yeah, I think we're definitely going to be in a similar state of mind to mm. what we are now because I think we've just got so much passion for the Wildest Kruger project, uh, what we're doing with Wildest Kruger Safaris and the brands that we are working with like Rhino Whiskies. You did a, um, a Sony partnership for Brief. You're working with quite a quite a few companies. And we're enjoying doing that stuff. Mm. So we see ourselves doing the stuff we are currently doing. Maybe on a larger scale. 
let's yeah, manifest that. Exactly. I think I think on a larger scale, growing the company. For sure. Um, I probably want to do workshops in more places than just Africa. Yeah. Uh, I would love to do things in Sweden, and I would love to explore my my own country from a photography point of view more. Yeah. And do trips there, but also going into like. Svalbard and you know the it, I would love to go to Yellowstone and uh, you were talking about South America like oh, you know South America yeah uh, India wow yeah India black leopards yeah uh, 100% mm. you know so I think just on a larger scale but similar thing and uh, I think maybe at that point we might be based in Sweden yeah because yeah. we do see ourselves moving there eventually eventually yeah biggest challenge being wildlife photographers Sure. I think uh, so, the so uncertainty well. uh, of like being, I think let's like move it into being like self-employed because wildlife photographers are such a like. Yeah, it's, it's difficult to get a gauge on this question. Does she mean in the field uh, or mm. um, as a job? Yeah. I think uh, uh, as a job being self-employed, the biggest uh, challenge is like the uncertainty and constantly being like, am I working hard enough? Yeah. Uh, mm. Like, you know, when you kind of when we say like we're knocking out of work uh, out, knocking off from work yeah like now i'm relaxing for the rest of the evening like this is my time off i constantly be like oh should i maybe like post something else on instagram or like have i done enough with this and that or you know get an idea for a reel and i'm like oh i need to go and create that or there's an email that pops in from someone who's in a different time zone or whatever it might might be and you constantly you're struggling with that feeling of constantly being like am i doing enough and also being like, when when is my next salary coming in? Because you, yeah. you never know. And and that can be stressful. But so far, I am enjoying that as well, yeah. if that makes sense. I couldn't agree more. Uh, I would love to know everything about the field guide course. I'm thinking about doing... I've been thinking about doing it for years. All right. This is a good question. I think I'm going to take this one. Mm-hmm. Um you do it. Uh, Especially if you've been thinking f- about it for years. Yeah, exactly. You've obviously, it's obviously been on your mind. It hasn't just been, you haven't just romanticized it. Um, it's for a brief period. You've obviously thought about it. You've given it some thought. And that's good. If you have had that thought process, go ahead, do it. You know what they, the stuff they cover in the field guide, uh, guide course, you learn so much from there. Now, if you are a, if you've majored in animal behavior, um, or something along those lines, I would maybe look at doing a shorter course because you're probably going to run into uh, areas that are going to be quite repetitive on what you did at university. Um, but I would say, yeah, do it. But again, I'm going to say this. I'm going to speak quite freely now. It's expensive to go through these companies. And if you are going to, this is not directed at just you. This is directed at anyone that's listening. Is if you're gonna, if you're gonna invest this time and money into this course, it, you there's there's some things you need to know about. It's it's a hard industry to work in if you're gonna go into it as a guide, um, and it's very very expensive to do so. So make sure that you've given it a long hard thought. If you're just thinking about it from a gap year point of view, you're living overseas. Absolutely. Probably one of the best gap years you could take if mm. you're going to do the full year or if you're going to do the two, three month course. Absolutely one of the best times of your life you'll have. It is amazing. You're going to meet like-minded people. Uh, the instructors are, are great. Uh, but 
if you're looking at it from a career point of view, think long and hard uh, about um, finances and the loan you potentially have to take out to get this qualification and do this course. That's all I'm going to say. Just just give it a good hard think. What do you? What are you guys more passionate about, birds or mammals? Hmm. Interesting. Hmm. I, I'm like, so I think I enjoy mammals more from a photography point of view because birds can become a bit repetitive because they have like one pose, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, like Unless bird... a bird in flight or. No, exactly. Yeah. Like I think just birds in general, just birds in general. But with that being said, like I have a big passion for birds because one, I enjoy learning about them, and yeah. I always feel I feel quite cool when I can ID a bird and recognize a bird cool. I feel, just have do you to feel do you, do you that? I feel like I remember my guiding. Yeah, training. good job. And I feel good about myself, so that's great. And uh, and I enjoy learning about them, but also from a photography point of view, I think birds are so great to photograph especially when you're starting out then i think you know you can also birds are so accessible like all over the world yeah that that's it's a great thing to practice on but also you can get such amazing photos with birds because you can put yourself in the right place at the right time and just wait for a bird if you know what i mean i think they're both really amazing uh they both have their own place in my heart if i can say that and uh, a lot of the time it does come down to who my guest is you know it's not re- often when i'm out in the field it's not really up to my preference and people are going to be like oh but have you lost your passion no it's not i'm i'm passionate about wildlife i am but i'm also passionate about people and um making people's safari expectations happen you know so and i love my birds i l- absolutely love them so i'd say i'd put them on the same level for me personally how different is it photographically from European wildlife to African wildlife? You take this one. So I don't have that much experience with European wildlife because I started my wildlife photography journey when I came to South Africa. But from what I've understood uh, from people I follow on social media and just my little experience in uh, in Sweden is that it's a lot more on foot. So you walk with your equipment, you maybe hike quite far, uh, you might be sitting in like a hide and you sit and wait either it's like a um from what i've seen from from my my friends and stuff on instagram who do wildlife photography in europe um they have portable hides or it's like like literally a hide as in like a house and you literally sit there for hours just waiting for stuff to happen so in that way i think it requires a bit more patience just sitting just waiting yeah i think wildlife photography in south or in africa still requires patience patience because you're still waiting for the right moment and you literally like you're patient patient in the moment rather it's like you sit and wait for the leopard to lift its head you know what i mean and you're literally just ready with the shutter as soon as it lifts its head so you're like not moving your head your eyes from the viewfinder and just waiting and so in that way it does that there's patience there but yeah, I think especially the on-foot uh, photography is different. So, like, in Africa, 
99% of the time when you're doing photography you will be in a vehicle and that makes a big difference and that also means you can cover much bigger distances looking for animals mm. and I think there's more abundance of animals so you like literally come into the reserves and there's zebra there's giraffes there's impala uh, so there's animals around and then you go specifically looking for for the special ones well I think from what I've understood in Europe it's more like you photographing whatever animal comes around because you won't see anything else if that makes sense yeah just from what i've understood how do you afford your travels we have a money tree i'm kidding <laughs> that's also a dad joke yeah i think people misunderstand uh, why we travel and how much we travel personally because mm. we don't travel a lot personally uh, for no. personal trip trips we used to when we had a permanent job and we used to, on our leave, go and travel and go to Kruger personally. Mm. But we don't do that much anymore. And uh, Most of our travels are actually work. Uh, where we're hosting people, we are uh, teaching people photography, workshops, all of that kind of stuff. That is actually mostly of our travels. Uh, and we don't travel that much personally. Yeah, I, I agree. Is there any steps taken by the government or people there, I assume, in the reserves, by them in there... To preserve wildlife, removing poachers, absolutely. Um, not just only poachers. I mean, you know, the reserve sustainability um, is vital to to everything, to um, the ecosystem and tourism as a whole. So, making sure any let's call it kind of let's let's say bad things that are in the ecosystem as a whole. You know, anything from invasive plants to poachers you know there are security measures in place to either get rid of them or stop them from happening yes poaching is a bit of a is a bit of a problem i think in most reserves you're never really going to stop it you can try prevent it as much as you can but poaching is a big problem in south africa at the moment due to the massive unemployment rate but that it's not just subject to africa it's all over the world or south africa or kruger it's all over the world but it's not just only poachers like i mentioned it's about everything else as well invasive plants invasive birds um all sorts of things that can negatively impact the ecosystem yeah i think what people um need to remember when it comes to the reserves what i think is amazing to see in south africa is how uh, the government do really mm. put effort into keeping the with reserve. the private sector. There's a lot of joint. Oh, there's venture, a lot of yeah. joint there, definitely, because tourism is such a big part oh, of South economy. Africa's economy. Uh, is it the third biggest? Fourth. Fourth. Yeah. Um. So there's a lot of effort there to keep these reserves healthy, and because uh, in that way it creates jobs. So it's amazing to see and it's a wonderful thing. And that's how tourism helps these reserves to, to be sustainable uh, because yeah, it's not, that it's funds, not, funds the protection of, of the animals. Yeah, it's not, it's not just um, the uh, people see our social medias and they see the guides and they see the trackers and they see the lodge managers, but they don't see the guys that are behind the scenes which are the security units, the guys that check your cars at gates, the anti-poaching units, who are the guy, the armed guys on the ground walking around the reserve, the military vehicles in the parks itself that are constantly patrolling. And then there's the research teams that are going around checking for invasive species of any kind, you know, um, 
certain behaviors that are not normal you know de disease control because you know diseases is also a big thing in africa and stuff like uh, droughts and floods can can create diseases um and uh you know there's there's constantly soil studies going on that this is not that n nothing bad is happening here oh this is not happening over there you know and then it's just it's it's a big a big team effort. Mm, absolutely, and the reserves are very protected, and there's a lot of effort into yeah. keeping them, yeah, keeping them going. Absolutely. Is it worth doing a sand parks guided activity? Interesting. Look, um, I am a fan of the sand parks activities, uh, but only two of them. Just explain to people what sand parks is. Okay, sorry. Uh, South African National Parks, which is basically Kruger National Park, Addo Elephant National Park, Kalahari National Park. It's all the national parks. It's we're not counting the uh, the private sector, the private reserves, the private lodges. Uh, we're counting the self-drive sectors where you guys would, where people would go. The public and, sector. The public sector. We'd go book your own your own accommodation, maybe even do a bit of camping, and then drive yourself around the park. And at these parks, there are activities that you can book at reception where you'll get a qualified guide. Um, there are four types of activities. There are or the wildlife activities. There's a morning drive, a sunset drive, a night drive, and a bushwalk. So they're all separate activities. Morning drive, I'd probably say n no. Because they go out maybe half an hour before you do uh, in the mornings. So why not just get in your car, save yourself some money and go do your own drive. Yes, you have the guide who knows what to do. Maybe he's been talking to some people in the area. But, I mean, it, it, it's in my personal opinion, it's not worth it. Then you've got the sunset drive, which comes back half an hour or an hour after the gates close. So you leave at about 4 and you come back about 7, 7.30. And that can be worth it. That can be worth it. But let's, later. let's talk about photography now. Yeah. If you're a photographer, you know, you're, by the time you want to get back in the afternoon in your self-drive vehicle, if you're self-driving, that's kind of the time where you're done photographing. Everything's going to be at night now, unless you're focusing specifically on something at night. Wouldn't you agree, Carolina? You jump in here. You. I would say it's, it can be worth it because you are able to stay with an animal as the sun sets and not okay, rush back to fair. the gate. But uh, but as you say, like half of the drive will be in the dark when, as a photographer, it's maybe not worth it. But you do have a spotlight. Uh, so if you want to do spotlight photography... Yeah, there you go. But you you've can, also you got... They've got these big trucks... So some yeah. of the smaller camps you'll get on a 10-seater, and that's nice. But the, the bigger camps have these 25-seater trucks. So if you're the only photographer on board and you're like, oh, the light's getting great, but the other guy goes, oh, let's go look for lions now. Uh, yeah, you're not, you're not going to get your way. I can guarantee you that. Um, also, the trucks are very, very high up. so they're not. Yeah, it's not. You're, yeah. you're generally shooting downward, yeah. which is not the best angle for photography. Um, but then you have the night drive. So I think if, you, if you're not thinking f photographically, yes, of course you can take photos. Of course you're going to be able to take mm. photos. Um, but night drive, I think definitely a must do. Uh, all my clients that want to do Kruger with us and with me and I do privately guided, definitely night drive because uh, you get a chance to see nocturnal animals that you definitely won't see in the morning. Well, I wouldn't say definitely, but chances are a lot higher you'll see them, such as porcupine, 
uh, jennets, civets, um, uh, honey badgers. Just excuse, excuse me, the plane. There's plane flying over the half. Lovely. But, and I think also something that, sorry to just chime in there for the night drive, I think something that's very special to experience is how the bush just changes Got as the black. night. As in, yeah, of course, but I mean, you also hear different sounds, it oh, smells yeah. different, it, you know, it, 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 just, it just feels so different and that's amazing to experience. And as yeah. you see, as you say, uh, other animals get active uh, that you chances are seeing them during they are very very slim and all of a sudden it's like a different ecosystem yeah and also like that pride of lions that you saw at 12 o'clock in the afternoon will be lying next to the road and they'll be ko you won't you are you'll might see an ear flick but say for instance you go on a night drive if you see lions there's a high chance they will be either mobile so walking hunting marking territory maybe even vocalizing or marking territory like that's calling special. that's special and that's amazing um you know that leopard you saw at 200 meters away in the tree at one o'clock in the afternoon you know maybe that specific individual or another individual is also walking on the road marking territory because they're active at night they're or they're more active at night so yeah night drive definitely a thumbs up from my side uh then uh, bushwalk bushwalks are slightly more expensive um than the drives i think they're great I think the walks are amazing. They go for about three to four hours. Um, they it's, do They do trail. And it's special to get down yeah. on the ground. And I mean, to be honest, you know, you're walking through the most natural ecosystem in South Africa. I mean, it, it's pretty special um, to go into those blocks that have not one road and you walk for kilometers into this thing. You're bumping into animals that very, very rarely come into human contact and you know, it's just special. You you realize on those walks, being on foot in the in those natural ecosystems, you feel in Kruger on foot. You feel you feel so in, insignificant. Is the word I'm looking for? They're very special. Yeah, yeah bush walks definitely recommend. So yeah, I think uh, out of all of them, the night drive and the bush walks are the ones that I think you should do. What is the difference between a photographic guide? And a guide that guides photographic guests. So what I took from this question was photographic guide is what Carolina does. That's your photographic guide. Sits left-hand seat and basically orchestrates the photography aspect. Am I right? You talk a little bit about Yeah, so what, so what I'll do on my workshops and with photographic guests, uh, so with guests that want my uh, input photographically mm. and they wear a guide photographically is that I'll help them and remind them of settings and you know help them with ideas of compositions and you know now this animal is going to do this so maybe think about this be ready now with this and uh, you can overexpose or underexpose or remember like put your eyes up high now because we it's getting darker so I'll assist with all of those things and like the guests will ask me, you know, I'm having this issue with my camera and I'll help them with that. Or, you know, what do you think of this photo? And I'll give them pointers and I'll like, try this, try that. And so very photo uh, focused. It's very camera orientated. Camera orientated, photo focused, where I help people get mm. the best photos. Uh, while a, photo, a guide driving photographic guests is more what Craig does. Yeah, so photographic guiding where I'm like a driver guide is someone like I don't have 
the extensive knowledge that I know my way around a camera. So I can definitely assist people with regards to their photography or what settings to have it on. But I don't have the extensive knowledge that Carolina does. What the knowledge I do have is predictive guiding, um, animal behavior knowledge. I know certain, you, you get to know certain ac uh, actions of this animal that, oh, he's a, this, this individual is about to yawn. Oh, this individual is about to get up. Oh, wait, this individual might climb this tree. Something like that. Whereas you are now predicting the animal movement where you're going, um, where I might say, okay, guys, hold on to your cameras. I know the shot looks good now, but in 30 seconds, it's going to look better from over there. You know, knowing where the animal's going to walk. You know, you can never know, but you can predict and you can be 90% sure of where that animal is going to potentially walk. And position the vehicle in yeah. the right spot for the for the guests. Which is very different from normal guiding. Yes. Where you're literally just viewing the animal. Also with photographers, I find they generally... You know, most, most guests, clo the closer the better. Mm. Um, w from Within the... And being as ethical as you possibly can. Yeah, I'm not saying respecting the animals. Yeah, respect the animal's personal space. Uh, but the closer the better for most guests, for guests that aren't photo uh, photographers. But for photographers, closer is not better. Especially uh, when you're in a vehicle, because then you're shooting down. Yeah, so you want to be a little bit away. And that, only photographic guides know. And, you know, you go go 20 meters away, and you can get, you can create that low angle that you have, or that you that you could have. Um, and if you've got something like that 302.8 that Carolina does, you'll mm -hmm. see how amazing those photos can turn out compared to when you were actually just five meters away. Mm. And it just it, it, it's just doesn't work. I actually got a question about that that day, just to chime in there. No, on go that ahead. Question, uh, how we get low angle shots in a vehicle. Yeah. And uh, and we don't really. like we, we don't really get low angle shots in a vehicle, but we position ourselves in a way where it can look more low angle yeah. you'll never be able to lie on the ground because you're in a vehicle so you will never get a low angle if that makes sense but if the road is for example if we're lucky and like the animal is on the road on like a little hill we'll park you know un under that so that you're shooting up towards the towards the animal yeah. that's on the road uh, or like Craig says, parking a little bit further away is always is often better because you're not shooting, you know, down on the animal. You're more on the same level as them, and you can create that feel. And then often as well, sometimes you're lucky that something is on a termite mound or yeah. like the road. The road is like a little bit further down than what the ground next to it is where the animal is and whatever. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of how you how you try to create those things. Yeah, um, I hope that answers the question. Um, next question is how do you predict animal movement? That's it's a difficult one. How do I predict animal movement when we're out on safari? You know, you, it's a lot of experience. Yeah, it comes down to experience, but you can never really do it. You take in what what we call an educated guess, um, and uh, you you go you go on your gut feeling. You've spent enough time with these animals, so it comes down to. Um, two things trusting your gut and knowing your area uh, and thirdly potentially knowing that animal uh you know knowing that specific leopard that has that territory that you have have experienced over so many so many years or knowing that pride of lions that has been in that area i think it's a, a 
correct me if I'm wrong, but a good way to make people kind of understand it is that you get to know, like, if you as a person who's listening, think about your pet mm. and how you know when they are hungry or when they look at you in a specific way and you can kind of, you, you eventually learn to read your pet's body language yeah. and what they mean with certain things or how they like you know how their routine during the day is like in the afternoon it likes to lie on this spot because it's sunny or whatever it might be and i'm not saying that these animals are pets they're far from it but when you spend enough time with them you start picking up on these these rhythms and personalities and um routines that they have no exactly and and body language you give you 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 give it an example i'll let's do a little screenplay here where you're in a sighting with a leopard um it's late afternoon so let's call it four thirty, five o'clock in the afternoon it's been hot this leopard was found in the morning and uh, we, we, we've seen this leopard has gone down in this area in this drainage line fantastic off we go back to the lodge we come back to that leopard that afternoon four five o'clock we think it's going to get up we get back there because we know generally that cats start to get active when it cools down. Four or five o'clock, it's starting to cool down. But now the big question is, what is that leopard going to do? So can we do this? I've got photographers on my vehicle. Okay, what's going on? I speak to my tracker. I say, right, where where are we going to go? Ah, but we know this dam is just 400 meters from here and it follows this drainage line. Right, the leopard start. We wait for the leopard to get up, see which direction she's going to go. Because we go, okay, she's going to go to this dam. She could get up and go the other way. Don't leave. Until she has made a decision. This leopard has made a decision. She gets up, great, goes to starts walking down the drainage line. You know your area enough to know that that dam is there, and that's where she's going. It's where she, it's winter, it's a hot winter's day. There's no small puddles in that drainage line. She's going for water. That's my gut feeling telling me that. I'm not saying that's what's going to happen. I've been fooled before, but more times than not. Go park at the dam, tell your guests, let's wait 15 minutes, listen to the birds, you know, talk, guide, create an experience, do your job. And um, more often than not, you will see that leopard come over the dam wall and go for that little drink. But also you can, you can see from that animal's behavior, you know, if she's lying there panting hard, you know, she's panting, you know, that, that means she's hot, she's thirsty. You know, you start to see that, that saliva build up on the side of the mouths and you go, yeah. Lovely. This leopard, she wants water. And that's those are things you've got to look at from not only as a photographic guide, but as a guide. You know, you look at those things because it does, it, it, it enhances the guest experience and it makes you look like you know what you're doing, which you would do. Good example is uh, a couple of months ago, we were with a client on a tour in Kruger mm. and we came across three male cheetah. And they were walking and they were quite like on a mission. And at first we couldn't figure out if it was males or if it was females with cubs, which is kind of important when it comes to reading uh, the behavior, which I'll get to now why that's important. And we eventually we realized, okay, it's three males. And we were able to see and identify three males. And Craig was like, okay, they're on a mission. They are marking territory. They are, you know, going around and you saw that we were in quite an open area and then there was one big tree and they were angling towards that and your experience you told me that you know that they like to mark territory on big trees there was a big marula tree yeah. yeah so we went and parked next to that big marula tree and you were right they came and they marked territory on that tree and we were ready for the shot and that's also a very good example of how like that experience yeah. knowing because if and also knowing to check 
that are we sure these are three males and it's not a female with two cubs? Because if it was a female with two cubs, this would, wouldn't make sense. You know what I mean? No, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so to to check what is it males? Is it females? Are they marking territory? What are they doing? And uh, and then knowing that okay, they do like big trees. Let's go. Yeah. Park it by it, this it comes down to everything. It's, it comes down to the the sex of the animal, um, the type of animal, uh, the area in which the animal is currently situated weather conditions um season conditions water abundance everything comes into play when you want to predict this animal's movement the the tricky thing is you have sometimes 30 seconds to take this all into consideration and make Mm. your decision and that's where experience comes in yeah if you could have a private concession anywhere in kruger where would you have it it's a great question actually so for those of you who know Kruger, I'm going to go first, sorry, because I've dreamt about this my whole life. Uh, I would have a concession. Have yeah, I'm going to have a concession uh, north of uh, Birkendal, going up to Pretoria Scorp and the Four Tracker Road. There's that, that area. Wow, mm. that place is magic. It's the Napi area. Okay. Lots of little copies there. And it's pretty. Very pretty. Mm. And I know there's lots of leopards there. Did you ever work on reserves where you could off-road? Yes, I did. Um, I did enjoy it because it can enhance a guest experience um, from uh, getting closer to animals' point of view. But it's just important to know that there are ethics that need to be followed when off-roading. Is it fun? <laughs> I think Passion my young. I think in my younger years, uh, I did think it was quite fun. It made me look quite macho. Um, but then you get over that quite quickly in your guiding career. Um, the the whole macho life. But yes, it was. It was fun at a time, but now I think nowadays it's not so fun because uh, now I'm doing a lot of private guiding where I come in with my own company and guide at your property. And I also now there's a little bit more responsibility, whereas when you're working for a company, their insurance policy covers you. Now your insurance policy covers you. So you, you want to be a bit more careful because you don't want to be the guy that comes in and wrecks vehicles. So now I'm I'm actually open in saying that like when i don't need to off-road i don't but i also had that kind of philosophy when i was guiding because you don't want to negatively impact the the ecosystem as a whole due to you putting pressure on uh, certain vegetations and soils types but yeah nowadays it's more from a, a point of view of okay i don't want to do damage to this car because it's not mine and i don't work for this company i'm a I do know, like, a lot of guests would often come back and be like, oh, it was so much fun, we went off-road and, like, went into the bush, <laughs> and they would, like, think it was, you know, and and I've also, I also think it's quite fun as a passenger, like, it's quite, it's quite cool, uh, but as you say, it needs to be done ethically and, like, not unnecessarily, and always with the ecosystem and the animal's comfort in... in yeah, you know, and yeah. that's the thing, is I think when you're off-roading, um, it puts a lot of pressure on that animal, mm. um, which I think we need to respect mm. uh, and that's why I think guides must just just take don't don't follow it so close you can off-road if an animal is not completely bolting from your off-road it's fine mm. go for it but give the thing some space yeah. Um, so yeah that's just my take on off-roading and go back to this long line of I've kind of spiraled and derailed yes I have worked on a reserve for reserves where we off-road what is your take on field guide fitness levels so I got really excited about this question, but then Carolina. Well, uh, 
she, she 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 shouted at me and said, well, "It's not reinventing the wheel." No, you just you just got like it's a good question. You just got overly excited about how great this question was. I think it's great because of the current status of the guiding field in South Africa. Um, I think I've seen some some really, and I'm not taking anything away from a guide that is overweight. You know, he can be he he can be able to shoot he can be able to handle himself with a rifle that's fine his guests will be safe but i still think that a guide that is overweight is more likely to shoot an animal than get away from it first so i personally think yes there needs to be a certain level of fitness now i'm not talking from vehicle guiding vehicle you've got a you've got a a v8 engine that can get you out of a situation if an elephant's charging you've trained for that I think as a guide on foot, you need to be of a certain foot le- fitness level. And um, I think, yeah, just you know, keeping a fitness standard. doesn't have to be a high standard. We just need to make sure that that guide, said guide can still climb a tree. Um, said guide can, can still move away at a brisk pace to get away from dangerous animals. Because I think, unfortunately, right now is... People, uh, the guests, often are told that they're not allowed to go on walks, but they're actually fitter than their guide because there's an age limit. Now, I'm not against the age limit, but 65, there's some pretty fit 65-year-olds. And uh, then you'll get a guide that's very large that, yeah, I can't. I, I don't know. I don't disagree with you. I do think there needs to be a certain fitness level. I just think that if you are able to go on a bushwalk in hot Africa for an hour or two, you are fit enough. You know what I mean? Like, if, if you're able to walk for that long, you are fit enough. But do you think, what about, what about the, the climbing tree aspect? I think, you, I think you can climb a tree if you're able to walk for two hours. Because, like... If I'm thinking someone who isn't able to climb a tree, especially when something is charging at you and you get adrenaline, which is literally like magic powder and you can do anything on adrenaline. Like there's the craziest stories of what people have done on adrenaline. You know what I mean? So like if something's charging at you, the adrenaline is pumping, like you will be able to climb a tree. If in, in my head, if I'm trying to imagine a person who is not fit enough to climb a tree, yeah. that person is large like the ma- the person i'm imagining in my, in my head is so large that they cannot get out of bed like that's what i'm that's what i'm imagining like so i think that if you are fit enough to walk in the bush for two hours in 30 35 degrees which is most of the days here in south africa then you are fit enough to climb a tree do you see what i'm saying yeah i see what you're saying but what about what about longer walks? What about you know there's trails where you're going out there six hours? Yeah, so if you're able to walk for six hours, then you're able to do the thing. You, you see, what I'm saying. Yeah. And if you're not able to do that, you probably won't be a trails guide. You you just won't be doing those walks with your guests. You, do you see what I'm saying? I see what you're saying. I I think I I, do, I think there should be just a little level of fitness that guides need to do so i'm going to go back to what i what i said originally um and i feel there should be doesn't it, again i'm going to state doesn't need to be the highest level of fitness but it needs to be it needs to be a level of fitness nonetheless carolina is making fun of me because i want my guides to be fit 
fucking tired. Oh, <laughs> yeah, sure. All right, guys. That we, is the end of our Q&A. We've literally been sitting in this very hot room for two hours. Two hours. I've lost my mind. This is, <laughs> I'm dying. Yeah. I'm, I'm so done. Okay, we're going to try to end this podcast because like our brains are, are kind of blowing up because we've been sitting in this room for two hours and it's so hot. And because yeah, we recorded the previous podcast and then we dove into this one straight after. So yeah, we've been sitting here for like two hours and we kind of like brains are just all over the place. Brains are a little bit fried, guys. But thanks so much for tuning in and uh, we'll see you guys soon. Cheers, guys. <laughs> that was terrible. Oh, 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 oh,